think my sister and I were kidnapped when we were kids. If that video sounds familiar to you, you probably came across it while scrolling through your For You page on TikTok, like I did. The voice you just heard belongs to a 25-year-old college student named Amanda Cornegie, and her videos sharing her thoughts on why she thinks her adoptive parents may have kidnapped her has captured the attention of thousands of people on social media. Amanda is still on a journey for answers, but watching her videos, I knew how important it was that she share her story in a way that allowed her to paint the picture of who she was and how exactly she had come to believe that her adoptive parents, the people who had raised her since the age of three, had been keeping a dark secret about where she came from. Welcome to the podcast that reminds you, it isn't the boogeyman you should be worried about. It's the stranger you know. Amanda, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me today. Um, I have to say that I came across your story on a certain social media platform, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But when I first saw your story, I was like, wow, this is this is wild. And, you know, it kind of aligns with a lot of the stories that I tell um, in terms of questioning people closest to you and wondering who these people really are. And so your story is definitely along that theme. Um, And there might be people that listen to this and first saw your story the same way I did. But now you really have the opportunity to tell it, I think, in full. And I'm I'm ready to hear it all. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you, Amanda Cornegie. I did not botch your last name. <laughs> you got it right. I I want to start this interview kind of just by starting at the beginning. I want to start from your childhood. What would be your earliest childhood memory? Oh, so that's a really good question. Um, there's only two very significant ones that come to mind. Um, the first one is, is... It was shortly after I had gotten adopted by my adopted parents and my adopted dad was very big in like the carving industry. And so we went to um, chainsaw carving competitions. And I remember standing out, out in this yard and he was carving, you know, some log over in the distance. But I remember my foster mom um, who had me for the first three years of my life, she came to one of these carving competitions in the very, very beginning. And I just remember recognizing her, knowing that she was somebody like dear to me. And the only thing I remember was her leaving and feeling like devastated. And I wasn't really sure what was happening. And I just was stuck where I was. And that's the earliest memory I have of like right when the adoption happened. So you were pretty young because what, at what age were you adopted? I was three years old. 
Okay. I don't think I can remember anything from when I was three years old. So <laughs> that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good memory. So you do remember your foster mother, or at least, you know, to the extent that you can remember some small things from before you were adopted. Right. I only remember very small little snapshots of my foster mom. The crazy thing is I don't remember her face in my memories. Like I just remember like feeling loved and like protected, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think we remember feelings more than we remember people a lot of the way people looked. You know, we remember the way we felt in a situation. So I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so like I have this whole baby book that she put together for me that has like the first three years of my life. And like, I have all these pictures of her in it, but I mean, I didn't know the book existed until I was like 13, 14, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so I only really remember feelings versus actually remembering what she actually looked like. Do you remember when you first met your adopted parents? I don't really remember a whole lot. I know, like, I vaguely remember, like, the Christmas that I met them and feeling very unsure of the whole situation. I definitely did not like my adopted mom from the beginning. Like, I can be honest and say that. Mm -hmm. Like, I just remember being a little kid and just kind of scared of her. And not that she did anything, you know, specific or anything like that. It was very just, I don't know. I just had a little feeling and I was like, eh, I don't think I like you. You just didn't like her vibes. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. I'm like, that sounds terrible, but I'm like, just, that's kind of how it was. But growing up, I mean, even as, as like a young child, you knew you were adopted, right? Like it was never a question or something that you discovered later in life. I didn't know I was adopted until I was like, probably like eight or nine years old I know I was a little bit older and I think that's when I finally got that I was adopted I Mm. think they actively said we were adopted but I never knew what that meant like it was just a term that they would say but I never really understood it until I was a little bit older I think I was about in the third grade when I kind of realized oh wait a second I didn't come from you it came from somebody else and I'm here now. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot. That's heavy. I, I think, in fact, I actually went through kind of a little kid depression, <laughs> like when I first figured it out, because I was like, wait a second, why? And it was very just, I just remember like being sad at some point. And it was around the time I discovered like these people weren't actually like my people. And all of a sudden I was like, well, where do I come from? So tell me about how that happened. Like, how did you realize or come to realize, even kind of using your words, that your adopted parents were not your people? And, you know, for people listening, for listeners who might not be familiar with, like, your background and, you know, whatever heritage you might have, what does that mean exactly? Um, So, like, I'm Native American. Um, currently still waiting on some DNA results to, you know, for sure confirm everything. Um, but I am for sure Native American from my knowledge. Um, and so I was always told like people, 
within like my biological family, you know, were enrolled in a tribe, but I didn't know this till like later on. And growing up, like I remember like being like in the very beginning, like my adopted parents were always like worried, like somebody was going to take us away. And so I never understood that. And then they would like kind of like prepare us if somebody took them away. And so it was always this, somebody's going to come and take us away or, you know, something. And it never made any sense to me until later on when I realized, oh, wait a second, I don't actually belong to you. And that's kind of when I started questioning just kind of everything of, oh, wow, this means so much more than what I thought. And so I guess the feeling would have just been kind of lost, kind of alone and just I, I, just internally, like kind of just, I hate to say it, but my adopted brother used to call me uh, the ugly duckling. And I hate that term, but at the same time, it's like the only thing that, that like I can explain how I basically felt. It wasn't that I was ugly, but the whole point of the ugly duckling was he was searching for his mom, like where mm-hmm. he belonged. You know, it wasn't about, you know, the way necessarily the way that he looked. He was just like isolated, wandering around. And so like, that's what I felt. I was just felt like totally lost and isolated and just like unsure of like where I come from. Did you ever have a conversation, like an honest conversation with your adopted parents? Like, hey, you know, once you realized that you were adopted, were they open about where you came from? So they were definitely not really open with telling us where we came from until we were like way older. So I don't know if that was like their form of trying to protect us. But when we did get a chance to like finally meet them for the first time, which I think I was around 11 or 12 years old when I, the first time I ever met her, like met my biological mom that I believe is my biological mom. Um, It was very odd because like from the very beginning meeting this other person that I had, you know, somehow come from, she was very standoffish. She was almost like kind of scared of me. Um, And we always met at Olive Garden, which I don't know why I remember that. But um, yeah, so we would meet up at a restaurant But then my adopted dad would literally like pay her. And so it just kind of felt like the only reason why she showed up was so she could get money. And like, I didn't know anything about this woman. And so, but just from the very little interaction that I did have with her, I was already like something, something's really sketchy with this picture. Like people don't do this. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned us. So there was definitely you and then a sibling someone who was related to you in the home? Yeah. So like with my adopted parents, they adopted four kids altogether, except the two older ones ended up running away when they were teenagers and never came back, but they were also way older than I was. So they were like, I think I lived in the home with them for maybe a year. And then they were kind of out on their own. Mm-hmm. And um, they are actually from my knowledge, and this is, you know, knowledge of like 10 years ago, they are, they're actually in other countries from my knowledge. And um, anyway, so like growing up in the home, when I think of like my childhood, 
it wasn't with them. It was with my little sister um, who, you know, came from the same foster home that I did. And people thought like growing up that we were twins. And so like, I never questioned, you know, whether or not she was my, like my actual biological sister, um, just because people thought we were twins. Um, so yeah, when I say we, I mean like me and my little sister. Do you know if she's your biological sister? I don't actually, I, I really, I don't, which that's kind of crazy. Cause that was the first question a lot of people asked and it kind of, took me by surprise because it was never something I questioned. Like Mm -hmm. I had questioned everything else and like, but I never looked at her and and, and thought there's no way that we're like, you know, blood related. Like never thought that. Yeah. Why would you question it? I mean, there really wasn't any reason for you to question it. (laughs) Right. It's just like, we grew up together. We look the same, you know, we act the same, like, yeah, she was just like my little sister. And so obviously, you know, I want her to like eventually get a DNA test. Are we in the rush of that? Not necessarily. She obviously has other um, important things because she's, she's, you know, lives a completely different life than I do. And, you know, I'm on a totally different journey, but eventually she will get one. Yeah. And that makes sense. But you guys don't need DNA tests to confirm what you already know, which is like your sisters, right? So, you know, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So back then to kind of what you were talking about before, when you said that at some point, I think you said when you were 12, you do meet who you're told is your biological mother. So how did that even play out? Like, was it a conversation that was just kind of put on you one day where they were like, yeah, we're going to take you to meet her. Um, was it something that as a 12 year old you wanted for yourself? I know that I was asking questions about her and it wasn't until like I was in the sixth grade when I really started asking questions and, um, they never really seemed to have a whole lot of answers. They just knew that they had her number, which was kind of crazy to me. Cause I was like, really? Um, you know, after so many years, it was just kind of like, really? And like, I had not met her like at all, like up to this point. Like I remember in the very beginning of the adoption, like we had apparently met her, but I had no, like, I don't remember that at all. I mean, it definitely could have happened, but it wasn't something that I remember. And so, um, it literally was just one random day. They were like, Hey, we're going to go to Olive Garden and you're going to meet your biological mom. And I was like, oh, okay. And so like, I never, it was, it was like months later. It wasn't even a conversation that we had before or anything like that. I literally remember we were traveling through some other state that apparently she was in and we got together and met her. Like, that's how it happened. Like there was no plans on like actually meeting her from like my knowledge until like last minute. That's wild. And a lot for you to handle at that age too, right? To just be told like, yeah, we're going to go meet your biological mom at Olive Garden. (laughs) Yeah, it was very, it was very different. I I just remember being like, oh, oh, like you told me for so long that we couldn't talk to anybody because you were afraid somebody was going to take us away. And now all of a sudden it's okay. So it definitely made me question a lot. 
Oh yeah. And there's other things that you share when you, when you share your story um, that you talk about that now in hindsight, you're like, that was so weird that this was going on in my childhood. Um, What kinds of things you've already mentioned one of those things, which is them consistently saying, you know, someone might come take you away or someone might come take us away. What other things when you look back now are just, were just really strange about the way that they were raising you? So basically they told us we could not talk to like even their own family, like their, you know, siblings or, you know, uncles and stuff, their mm-hmm. own uncles. And so we were always super isolated and they always basically told us like they were somehow like our saving grace and that these people were like bad and, you know, don't have anything to do with them. And it was, you know, one of those things that, you know, if you're told consistently that somebody's bad, you're just going to assume that they're bad. And so I just assumed like both of their families were just, you know, crazy and you don't have anything to do with them. And so I just assumed they were terrible people, uh, which is horrible to even say. But um, so it was just extreme isolation. We moved consistently. I mean, we moved to Mexico and moved several times in Mexico. But then when we came back to the United States, we moved over 47 times by the time I was 12. And then I just stopped counting because it just got so disappointing and it was so hard it was like I just remember like meeting people and being excited to know people and then it was like no just kidding and so it was consistently that growing up it was always like oh yeah no just kidding and so I just kind of grew up realizing like nothing mattered people are going to come and go and don't get attached because you're going to have to tell them goodbye And so save yourself some energy and just say hi to people and keep it very shallow. That's so hard. I mean, just even trying to form connections, friendships, anything like that, when you're moving that much, it's, I can only imagine. What were they saying to you and your sister about why you guys were moving? Honestly, I never questioned it. I just figured that's just what you do. And so it wasn't like we were moving anywhere specific or for a specific reason. In fact, like they rarely told us why we were moving. They were just like, so we're going to move in a couple of weeks. And that was just, that was it. They never necessarily told us where we were going even, um, which is kind of crazy looking back. And so like consistent moving was sketchy and obviously the isolation was sketchy. Um, but I guess the craziest part is, is we always got new numbers. We always got new phones. Like I didn't get a phone until, oh gosh, I think it was like 11 or 12. And so we consistently got new phones and it was kind of crazy. Like growing up, they were kind of obsessed with long hair. And once we started like moving a lot around, I guess, I mean, we consistently moved a lot. But it wasn't until I was probably about um, nine, 10, 11, somewhere in there, if not all three of those years, where they started cutting our hair. And so it was just consistently changing. And so, like, it was now it was our appearance. We weren't just moving, 
but now it was nobody has contact with any of us because we're always changing things and now our appearance is changing on top of it and it was just like oh this is very strange and very odd and obviously when you're in the middle of all that especially being a child and growing up in that and that's all that you see it wasn't something that I questioned it wasn't something that I could even say no to because obviously who am I I'm just this kid so even if I did have the maturity to be like whoa something's not right I couldn't have done anything about it necessarily no of course I mean and even to look back on that part of your life now to feel any other kind of way than sorry for yourself because honestly you were in a position that you were the victim you know you were in the hands of your adopted parents there's nothing you could do so you know looking back now you know don't be hard on yourself but I know that aside from like all of the moving you also share when you talk about your childhood how hard your relationship was with your parent how much of that do you feel comfortable talking about or do you want to talk about right okay so like with my adopted mom she was like very physically abusive verbally abusive she was very constantly somehow degrading us in one way or another and so like I just like even my earliest memories of like the very first house like I can literally walk you through the whole layout of that house which is crazy to me um like I just remember her like choking me with food because she was like trying to force me to eat when I was a kid And I mean, I'm not saying like a kid that doesn't want to eat. I mean, like she did it the most intense way. And I'm literally surprised I'm like here. Um, so like, that's kind of like one of my earliest memories of her and like realizing that this woman is, is very unsafe and was going to harm me. And so that automatically put me into a category of very, there was a lot of division all of a sudden because I didn't trust her and because she had shown me several times that she was a physically violent person who didn't know how to manage her own emotions and only saw that lashing out was actually going to change the problem or change my behavior. And so um, she was, you know, consistently all the way up until almost the day that I left, she was very like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to beat you. You know, she was always doing something very, very intense. Um, and so like, obviously with my adopted dad, he was, it was so crazy. People ask me, you know, were they good parents at all? And I honestly have to just respond back with, it depends on how you look at it. Because like with my adopted dad in the very beginning, he was very caring. He was very considerate. He was very much the person that you would have wanted as a dad and people who did know him loved to interact with him and it wasn't until I was older that he ended up starting to like sexually assault me and he did for years and my adopted mom knew of this abuse and she refused to say anything about it in fact she was like I can't do anything because how am I going to get a job? How am I going to raise you guys? And so I can't stop it. And basically turned the whole thing on me and was like, 
you have nobody but yourself to blame. You're the one who seduced him. And I'm like, I'm nine years old. Like I was nine years old. I'm like, I didn't even, I couldn't even tell you the anatomy terms of the male body. Like, so I'm like, how in the world can a nine-year-old seduce a grown man? Like in my head, that's impossible, especially if they couldn't even name the terms of the male anatomy. And so, yeah, so then it got very intense because not only did I feel unsafe with my adopted mom, but then I resented her because she let this continue on for so long, all because she didn't want to go get a job. And then it was like, well, thanks. And then obviously with my adopted dad, it was just like, what happened? Like you were so caring, like you were the one who was protecting us from this woman who is a monster and literally to the point of, I can't leave you alone with her because I'm afraid that she's going to kill you when I'm, you know, away for work. And it was like, how can that turn into like such a tragedy with like the sexual assault that happened for years? And so the whole dynamic ended up changing of, I resented them both. And I was stuck in this situation of an unstable environment. And then I was also growing into like being a teenager. And so it was just like really complex. Well, I'm sorry you went through that. I mean, to even have to deal with something like that at your age that you went through, that it started, and then to go to your adopted mom. And that was brave for you to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And expect her to help you, and she doesn't. That had to right. have been, you know, devastating for you. And so eventually, though, you are able to get out of that situation, right? Like you are able, I think you said when you're like 15, you're able to leave their home, right? Right. I actually, we ended up moving to like closer to like my adopted dad's family. And I ended up talking to this one specific aunt who had a history within the criminal justice field. And for some reason, like, I just like knew inside of me, like this was kind of like my only shot if I wanted out. And I literally ended up staying the night with her for some reason, which was a miracle in itself because they never let us go out and be with anybody. And I think it was because there was a storm or something that happened. And so like, I couldn't get back to, you know, my adopted parents. So it was all kind of like an accident that I ended up staying with her. But anyway, so that night we were just talking and I literally told her everything. And I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, this is what's going on. And, um, Anyway, so like within a couple of weeks, like she got some papers, you know, written and everything. So I would, you know, somebody would have custody of me. So they wouldn't mark me as a runaway. And that's kind of when everything started. So I just called her up and I was like, okay, we got a game plan. Let's go. And so she came over and um, literally showed him the papers and I was packing all my stuff and obviously everything had to move in a very precise way. So like nobody knew that I had told her, nobody knew that these papers were being drawn up. Nobody knew that this night was going to happen. 
And so when I was, when I say I'm packing everything up, like I literally had to secretly pack everything up and I literally started throwing my stuff out the window, like my bedroom window, because it was behind the house and everybody was in the front room talking about, you know, whatever, because she hadn't shown them the papers yet. She wanted to make sure that I had everything I wanted out of the house. That was mine. And because we were basically going to show the papers and we were going to run. And because like these people had a history of being super physically intense and violent, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And we, at the time, my adopted family, like we all lived out in the middle of nowhere, you know? And so we were, we were definitely worried that we could have gotten killed that night. Like it was not a far-fetched thought at all, Mm. unfortunately. And so at 15, I just showed them the papers and they signed and they just let me go, which was the most bizarre thing. And um, in the very beginning, like I didn't want to, like I didn't want to press charges. Like I literally wanted out of the abuse. And so I was like, I'm not going to press charges. Like I'm just done. Like I, I want to go live a normal life. Like, bye. Like I'll never talk to you again. Like, you know, cause it was just that dynamic. They were kind of like, once you're gone, like you're done. And so, um, I, you know, I braced myself to know that I was never going back. Like there was no option if I, you know, gave in and just went back. There was none of that. It was like the moment I left, that's it. Like there's no returning back because they, they're not going to want me back. If I go back, they're probably going to kill me. And it, it was, it was that. And I don't say that in a joking way. Like that was legitimately how they were. And so um anyway yeah so left that night and never turned back so much strength for a 15 year old I mean obviously you had already been through so much adversity and you had already already had gone through so much and so maybe that's why your character you were so strong and you told yourself you had to do it but Mm -hmm. again just I mean kudos to you for seeing that you had a way out and you took it so what was life like for you then after you left their home? Oh, gosh. So what happened next is I actually moved in with a cousin. And I actually um, ended up like becoming like a nanny or something like that, just to kind of help around the house and help them with their kids. Like they had very small kids at the time. And um, I actually got enrolled in school and everything like that. And um which is crazy that I was even able to go to school because, you know, once I became, you know, full grown adult, I ended up having social security problems, um, which all started this whole journey of like figuring out what the crap happened. Mm -hmm. And so in the very beginning, when I first left, I got enrolled in high school, stayed there for a couple of months. And then I actually ended up going to a facility that helps like women and children, um, you know, deal with the problems of, you know, the life that I came from. And so that's where I spent the next four years of my life um, is developing, you know, boundaries, coping skills, figuring out like, what are my triggers? What are my childhood triggers? What are, you know, what are things that, you know, my own emotions, how do I need to handle them? And so managing the trauma and then growing because I realized like I had been so stuck in survival mode that there wasn't room to look back. There wasn't room to look forward. There was just to live in the moment 
And so I went to this facility and it was halfway across the United States. So I literally bought a one-way ticket, showed up the day of my orientation. And this was a facility that literally only accepts, accepts 10 girls out of the United States, like only 10. And so it was very rare that I was even going to get accepted at this place. And so thankful I did. Obviously, I think because of it, it changed my life because I would have been in a totally different place in life. And God only knows what would happen. Um, but through this facility, like I just learned what a normal life is, what a healthy life is. And um, yeah. it's obvious the impact it had on you because you speak with so much maturity about it now. And you're so insightful, even about like, these really tough experiences, these really traumatizing experiences, the way you're able to talk about it. I mean, it's obvious that you went through a lot of work to get to this place. And I can definitely tell talking to you what an impact that must have had because you're able to talk about your experience so honestly and in a way that I think is really inspiring. I know that I'm not the first case to ever have anything like this happen, obviously. But I think like through the facility in itself, like they just equipped me with the right tools to be able to manage my own trauma. And I think that's like one of the biggest things that people need to be able to navigate like their own trauma, because we all have it. We all have a filter and it all looks totally different from each other. And um, anyway, so yeah, um, absolutely changed my life. It was the hardest season of my entire life. Um, but at the same time, it was one of the best seasons I think I will probably ever have. Well, I'm glad you had that, you know, and that you work. I think it made a world of difference for you. But at some point after you're kind of situated in your life as an adult, and you mentioned this already, but you do realize that there are issues with your social security number. And it raises a huge red flag for you. So tell me more about that. Definitely. Okay. So basically, um, I end up from the facility shortly after I left the facility. I ended up going to Alabama, roll tide, um, and started, you know, doing life in Alabama, you know, started transferring, you know, my address and you know, getting everything switched over with my plates and insurance and, you know, all the things that you got to do when you move anyway. And so one of the things that, you know, I had to do is transfer my license and I go into the DMV to transfer my license thinking, no big deal. It's going to be your typical wait for five hours, listening to screaming kids, you know, super overcrowded, that type of thing. But it, yeah, it was all that. But then some, because when it was my turn to come forward and they try and transfer everything, they look at me like I have three heads. And like, literally the woman just looked at me like she was shocked. And she's like, how do you have this? Um, and she's holding my ID in, you know, her hand. And she's just kind of like, what is this? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you don't show up in the system at all. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I mean, I just moved here. Is that part of it? She's like, no, like you're not in our database, like at all, like with any States. And I was like, well, you're holding a Missouri driver's license. So I was able to get it somehow. I'm like, 
and I've been using it. So I know that I had to go into a DMV and get that one. So I really don't know what to say in this moment. And anyway, and they're like, well, we don't ever really see this unless somebody is like an illegal or somebody who is like kidnapped at birth. And I was like, why would you tell me that? Like, one, I'm not illegal. And then at that moment, like, I didn't really necessarily think, oh my gosh, like, I'm kidnapped. Like, what? Like, I never even thought that. And so, you know, they look at me and they're questioning me. And, you know, at some point they, you know, leave and call some people and then they come back over and they just say, well, here's your license. We're going to keep talking to you. We're going to call you later, but something's not making sense, but we'll get in touch with you later. And they just let me go. And then they help the next person. And so it was just kind of something that was like really freaky. And then all of a sudden it was kind of like, okay, just get out of here. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I kind of just like brushed it off. Didn't think anything of it. And I was like, well, it's probably because I was adopted or it's probably because I moved a lot or it's probably because like, I don't actually have, you know, a paper trail of my life because I was young. I was, I think I had just turned 18 um, and I had just moved to Alabama and it was really close to like my 19th birthday. And so like, I didn't know anything. I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. And um, like with my little sister, we ended up losing contact. Like after I left um, the last home that we were in when I left when I was 15 and she, you know, went into the foster care system and that's all I know. And we recently just got reconnected in 2021 for Thanksgiving. First time seeing her in like 10, 11 years. And it blew my mind. Anyway, so she flies in, you know, great reunion. Oh my gosh, I love her to the moon. And all of a sudden, just one night, we're just casually like sitting in the living room. And she starts talking about her social and how it was linked to a dead person. And I was like, no way. I'm like, I've had social security problems too. And it was that moment that I was like, no, ma'am. Like there is something not right about this picture. Like what are the odds of two of us in the same home, both in, both having social security problems? Like what are the odds of that? And I'm, you know, your typical older sister that wants to go like bust down doors and find some answers. And so that's basically when everything started. And so that's crazy. I mean, to have that conversation where you're looking at each other and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? I kid you what? not. And my, and my friend, she was actually on the phone um, because we were talking about something completely different. And my friend was actually on the phone. And so she was like talking to both of us and she's been a dear friend of mine for years. And she was just on speakerphone and, you know, talking to my sister because I'm like, she finally got to like kind of meet her anyway. And so like my friend is like overhearing this conversation and she's like, oh my gosh, you realize like Native American kids way back when used to be kidnapped and like, because they would get some type of money or something for them. And I was like, really? Like, does that actually happen? And I ended up Googling it myself and like the tribe that I thought like from my knowledge I come from actually was the very tribe. that's like one of the top in the nation for like children who've been abducted, like when they're kids. And I was like, no, like what? And so that's really when I started just being like, wait a second. So everything that I had convinced myself 
was just because, you know, I moved or I was adopted, that type of thing. I was like, wait a second. Like, no, 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 no. And so that's when everything started coming together. So what was your next step? Once you realized like, all right, this, this is very strange. What was the next thing you did? Um, so the next step, um, so honestly it was Thanksgiving, the end of, you know, November. Um, and we're only, you know, now we're in February, but, um, so basically I just started really thinking about it and that's when I started kind of like my TikTok journey. I just started sharing my thoughts because I wanted to document it for myself, not thinking that anybody was going to see it. Um, and then obviously that kind of blew up and that's how you came across me. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I started reaching out to, um, like the state that I thought I came from or the state that I thought the adoption came from, um, really trying to look into like, where was I actually born, which would tell me a lot of stories. Um, and just, you know, basic information behind, you know, where I was born. And so those were kind of like the big things that I started, but then I found out like I was a home birth and that nobody really had a record of my adoption. And, um, obviously I took four DNA tests, still waiting on some results. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of the beginning of what I'm doing. I, you know, obviously have a few lawyers looking into like who adopted me and how did they adopt me? Because I found out that my adopted mom had, you know, mental health problems. And I was like, oh, wait a second. And this was before the adoption even happened. So like, wow, that's a big red, red flag. And then I started looking more at the adoption papers, found out I'm covered by an Indian act, you know, way back when that basically means that, you know, I should have gone to somebody who is, you know, registered in a tribe and come to find out they're not registered in a tribe. They weren't even eligible to be registered into a tribe. And so it was like, oh, wait a second, that's a really big red flag. And then realizing them paying off like my so-called biological mom, like what? Do you and have so it was like any, like, do you still have any connection to this lady who they said was your biological mom? Like, is there any way for you to contact her now? Or was that just kind of like, it was a blip in the radar of when you were little and you have no information about her. So it was basically just kind of a blimp in the radar for a really long time. And then um, she randomly showed up like literally a few days after I ended up leaving. Um, like my adopted parents' home, it, which is so strange. Like I remember getting a phone call from some random person and she's like, hey, I'm out in front of the house you're, you know, currently staying at, come out. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, I remember like spending the day with her or something like that. I have no idea why she even showed up. Didn't, don't even know how she got the information. Obviously she probably got it from my adopted parents, you know, obviously. But um. Anyway, and so I have not talked, I have not seen her. I've not seen her since that day that I saw her shortly after I ended up leaving my adopted parents' home. And last time I talked to her, that was a couple years ago. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely a handful of years ago, um, the last time I talked to her. And part of the reason why I stopped interacting with her is because I, you know, I asked her questions like about my birth and about my, you know, biological father. And she never seemed to have an answer. 
And it was kind of, kind of strange because of on top of everything that I had gone through for the one person that you thought would have all these information, all this information, she didn't have it. And I was kind of like, did they just pay you to show up and pretend to like be this biological mom? I mean, I wouldn't. So we would stop. (laughs) So we would stop asking questions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just crazy. Just crazy. Yeah, because now it's like you look back on all of these weird things that were going on, right? Like the constant moving, the changing of the appearance, the changing of the phone numbers, the kind of telling you guys that somebody might come take you guys away or take them away. All of those things now seem to imply that like they were hiding you guys, right? Like, or there was something going on there that they felt like they couldn't settle down for too long in any one place, you know? Right. And so that's kind of what I started putting together was like, oh my gosh, what have you guys done? And that's the million dollar question right now is, did she just sell us? Did they just pay her to like be, you know, this pretend biological mom? Like, is my adoption really fraudulent like I mean I believe in every fiber of my being that it totally is because I mean I can prove it on one point but it's just like in the worst case scenario it's like if it is fraud and that does fall under kidnapping I'm like did you just commit a federal crime and it's kind of like why though you treated Mm -hmm. us terrible which is kind of like the biggest thing that blows my mind it's kind of like if you did in fact really adopt us why did you? Because we were treated so horribly for so long. And then to have them like go to prison, I'm just like, blows my mind. So let's backtrack a little bit because we didn't talk too much about that. But I know at some point your adopted parents do go to prison. So right. tell, tell us a little bit about how that happened and what they went to prison for. Oh, goodness. That's a really good question. Um, let's see. Okay, so. They ended up going to prison. I know that the trial and everything started like a year or two before they were actually ever sentenced. But I do want to say it was back in like 2015. Um, it could have been 2013. I would literally have to go back and look in all these documents to like make sure I'm telling you the truth. Um, but I know that I believe it was about 2013, um, but they weren't sentenced until I want to say like 2016. So it was quite a while that they were in there waiting for trial to be, you know, finally sentenced. Um, so basically that happened when I ended up going to the facility that, you know, was halfway across the United States that, you know, taught me you know, a healthy lifestyle. Um, and so that whole court case happened while I was there. And so they were able to walk me through it. Um, and so basically what that looked like is we just randomly got a phone call from the DA and they were like, Hey, um, are you okay? Like being where you're at, like, do you have any specific person that we can just like appoint, you know, guardianship to? And, um, Anyway, and I was like, yeah, sure. Like these random people over here in the corner. And so that's how I ended up with the guardians that I had is I just randomly in a high pressure situ- situation picked it. 
um, picked them. And uh, anyway, so there was a lot of preparing me because they said that I was going to have to go and testify. And that was a whole lot of emotion because I had left that situation, you know, in the middle of the night um, with my adopted parents. We totally like left that situation in the middle of the night. And then to have, you know, the reality that I could possibly see them in court and be up on the stands and face a whole bunch of people that I didn't know and look at them. That was horrifying, but they started preparing me because like, they told me like, this is what's going to happen. Like, you're going to have to get on a plane. You're going to have to go to California. You're going to have to look at these people. You're going to have a whole bunch of people judge you and tear you apart on the stands. And I was like, great. And I'm like 15, 16, 17 years old at this point. And I'm just like, just like bracing myself for the worst. And so we knew that there was a chance that I was going to have to go to California. So my guardian, like she pushed to have me, um, you know, graduate high school. And so I ended up getting my GED because her thing, she was very big about education. She's like, I want to make sure that you can take care of yourself. And so we pushed to get my GED. So I got my GED. And, um, I just remember everything was just like on speed. Like I couldn't just be a teenager. It was like, we were working on getting emancipated and working on like getting my GED and working on like all these things, just in case they pulled me to California and my whole world would have changed. And so, um, there was a lot of preparing emotionally and looked into the lawyers that they had and, you know, because I was going to be questioned by them and just like preparing myself to be totally ripped apart and figure out how to manage my emotions, say the facts in this high pressured situation, work with people who are going to probably manipulate the situation. And so like being 16 years old, like I was being trained to like be torn apart and like hold a straight face. And so like, it was brutal. It was straight up brutal. Um, Luckily, I did not have to end up going to court. They took the plea bargain and they totally, um, totally just took it. And that was kind of the biggest thing that I wanted was I just wanted them to admit that they had done wrong. And so before they were even like arrested and I left, they ended up leaving like within a couple of weeks to Hawaii. And we were currently near Washington. And so like they picked up everything and just left. And I was still in Washington. And um, anyway, and so I guess they were trying to like outrun the jurisdiction and the law and everything. They felt like they got far enough away that nobody was going to extradite them back to California. And um Anyway, obviously that wasn't so because that's what happened. Um, and I just randomly got a phone call um, when I was at this facility that they had picked them up and they were going to, you know, have trial and everything. And obviously it took quite a while. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how they ended up in prison. And it's all because of charges or, you know, what they did to you and to your sister, right? Were there things outside of that that they were charged with or was it all related to what happened to you guys? 
So it was actually all related to me and what happened to me. Um, My sister has a totally different situation. um, And that's obviously her story to share. um, So I can't say much. But um, yeah, so the charges happened because I was the one who pursued it. And the state thought it was appropriate to put that on her. Um, and I'm so glad because I mean, she was crazy. And in some of the charges, it was, you know, she became a felon and it was all because she, like the charge was like being willfully cruel to a child and personal injury or death, which to me, like growing up, like I felt my whole life, like it was going to be a matter of time before, like she actually like killed us because she was so violent and like I remember being like a little kid and just crying telling her to just stop you're gonna kill me and it's gonna be too late and like that's one of like my biggest memories that I remember of just crying and begging her to just stop she was gonna kill me and so to see that on a piece of paper from a judge from you know a whole whole um what do you call it um a whole system, you know, that decided like this woman needs to be charged with these charges, um, like blew my mind because like, I knew, like, I knew that I knew that I knew like this was terrible and this is what I grew up with. And to see that people who didn't even know us or know me or this woman, you know, deemed that it was necessary to put these charges on her. And it was just like confirmation because to me, like, there were definitely points along the way, like maybe, like I thought maybe it was just me. Maybe it was just me being dramatic. Maybe this is just kind of normal. Maybe this is, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said this or, you know, it was always just kind of like, maybe it's just me. But then to finally read a piece of paper saying, no, like she was willfully cruel to a child. It like, there was so much freedom in that moment that I was just like, so blown away because I'm like, I knew that I was right, but to yeah, see it, you deserved it. You deserve that vindication. I mean, you went uh, through so right. many years. You deserve to be believed. You deserved for the adults in this situation to be held accountable for what they did to you when you were a child. So you absolutely deserved it. And I, I would only wish that like every child and everyone who goes through that kind of abuse gets that kind of vindication. And like, sadly, they don't. I'm not saying that you're a healed person, but I think that probably went a long way for you to feel like, you know, these people who had done this to you as a child, like they were punished for it. Right. Right. And that was, that was the biggest thing is I just wanted them to admit and then whatever, you know, people thought was appropriate for their sentencing. Like, that's just what I want. And then obviously with my adopted dad, he got charged with being a sex offender. So yeah, now he's going to have to live with that forever. So right. That's, right. yeah, like he can't escape that, you know, that'll right. haunt him forever. It's like, again, speaks to your bravery, right? Like that you were brave enough to go after that and, and hold them accountable I, for what I, they by did. By the grace of God, I have no idea how I did that, but yeah. It's inspiring. And like, maybe there's someone who can listen to this and be like, you know, Maybe they're in a scenario where they themselves wonder if they should pursue kind of legal action against someone who wronged them. And I think Mm -hmm. you you've proven, I think, that even when you feel like 
you don't know what the outcome's going to be, that it's worth mm-hmm. doing it, right? Like that it's right. worth at least trying. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and they'll get much more than that in life. I think I, karma, I believe in karma hundred percent too. So outside of right. You right. Know, the legal system, I absolutely believe in karma. Right. So, so now you're like in a position where you're in this journey where you're trying to like piece together all of these like puzzle pieces about right. the way you were raised, how weird it was, the issues with your social security numbers, knowing kind of like knowing 100% something wasn't done correctly here. You know, either it was a fraudulent adoption or at worst I was kidnapped. And so mm-hmm. you're in the middle of this journey. So I don't pretend you have any of the answers, but I know you're looking for them. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things you're, you mentioned you were doing is you are testing your DNA so right. that you could. And, and I love that, like on TikTok, every time you get an update, you like share with everyone. With yeah, the I do. Like, I can't. What's like, going on. Because everyone's so invested. And so, I, yes. yes. Yeah. So going back to that, too, the TikTok aspect is that now that you've shared your story on TikTok, it's gone viral. And I think that's because so many people are genuinely invested in your journey for answers. Like they want to see like, where is it that you come from? Because all of this right. is weird, right? Like, right. What, were you kidnapped? Like, what, you know, like, yeah, like everybody, that's a million dollar question. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing that is so intriguing here because you don't have these answers yet, but you've already gone through so much. I don't know that even getting the answer to that question, um, you know, for you, I don't know what that's going to mean for you or how much, how invested you are in that, in that answer. But I think that people that hear your story, they want to know, you know, (laughs) so, but if you had to say, like, if you genuinely had to say what you think happened here and how they you know, how it was that you came to be, you know, adopted or not, or however, you know, formally or informally or whatever happened there in that process, what would you say happened? Ali, I can go back and forth because you're not the first person who's asked me this question. Um, Honestly, I would have to say that they had said before that they had knew that they that they knew of people who were in the foster care system who were like on the board of being able to like adopt children and then they also said that they knew people who were you know on the tribal board because my adoption had to go through a tribe because I'm native american and obviously not really 100% sure on what tribe I come from so that's been kind of the delay there but um on contacting them. But I, if I had to pick what happened, I would honestly have to say, I think the whole thing was fraud. I think they knew that it was fraud. And that's why we ended up moving consistently. And I think that they were just hoping to get us to the point that we were, you know, 18 and we had lived with the chaos for so long that we were never going to actually genuinely ever look into it. And so when I started to question it, and in fact, like I even reached out to my adopted mom, you know, 10 years later and was like, hey, like, tell me about this adoption. Like, I genuinely think that it's fraud. 
and I want to get a private investigator because I think it's fraud. And if in fact it is fraud, like, do you have anything to say? Because if it's fraud, you're going back to prison. And her response was, why would you want to cause more pain? Which is a head tilt all on its own. Like, Mm -hmm. who responds that way? Mm -hmm. And, you know, some time had passed and I reached out to her again and I was like, you know, was I kidnapped? Did you guys kidnap me? Is that why we move so much? And she blocked me and hasn't ever responded. So it was like on top of the interaction, you know, with her and then listening to my sister talk about her social and just like the red flags with just, you know, my own story and growing up and stuff like that. I'm just like, okay, well, we're going to look into this. And so, yeah, I just would have to say that I totally believe that it was fraud and, and they knew that it was fraud and basically, essentially, yeah, they kidnapped us. And you could have like a whole family out there, you know, you could have people that have been looking for you and you wouldn't even know it. So I hope that you find all the answers you're looking for. Like you absolutely deserve it. And Mm -hmm. I know that you're working towards that now. And it's hard because you're still also just like living your life, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm going to senior in college. Yeah. (laughs) Right. You're going to college, like you're doing other things. And so it's hard not to let this consume you. So I also think that, you know, you need to find a balance between the two because you're also Mm -hmm. figuring out who you are. But Mm -hmm. I think that these are answers that you absolutely deserve. Like, where do you come from? How did they exactly get get you? And with everything that's going on, it's like you have this feeling in your bones, like, "Mm, this seems fraudulent. This seems like I could have even been kidnapped. If you look at some of the comments too, like even on like your videos, you have people that are like, are you looking at the pictures on like missing and exploited children website? Like, are you making yes. sure you're not on there? <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> and I have. And the, the crazy thing is, is like on the websites, they tell you like, how old were you? And I'm like, well, I had problems with my social. So I guess I really don't know how old I am. And then it's like, well, what was your name? I don't really know because it's just, you know, I've changed it three times. I, you know, I only know what they told me. I've never seen my original birth certificates. I really don't know what name I am. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, who's your family? Well, I don't have that answer. And it's like, well, around what time did you go missing? And I'm like, I don't really have that answer anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's like one of those things where like everybody can be like, well, you can just go to the website. You can just do that. I'm like, yeah, but you have to have information to start with to be able to go to a website. No, it's not that straightforward. I mean, if you went off of what people say, they're like, just do this. And you're like, no, there's actual information I would have to have. I know. There's laws in place and there's this and there's that. It's like, it's not as easy as just saying like, I'm going to figure this out. It's going to be a process. Yeah. And that's the hard part is trying to navigate not only my emotions and my motivation to get it done, but also managing and controlling the comment sections in my videos Mm -hmm. because they have blown up and they have gone viral. And so like I have accumulated a ton of people in a very, very short amount of time. And so it's like trying to navigate that and be like, it's not a one size fits all. If it was, I would not be here. I would be solving this on my own. 
And so I've constantly have to repeat myself of it's not a one size fits all. Let's just sit down and breathe. And I you can't just forget too. And I think people forget too, Amanda, like you're a real person, right? Like you went through really tough experiences. You're still going through it. This isn't Mm -hmm. like an episode of Dateline that you can put on. Right. Get your answer by the end of the show. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. The amount of comments, like I will post a video. I kid you not within two minutes after I post that video, there's like, is there an update? And I'm like, oh my Lord, Jesus, help me. I look at these people and I'm like, it's not a microwave situation. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh my gosh, some people, I just, I'm like, oh, Lord bless you. It's okay. Yeah. Well, and also just even background information, like figuring out what connections you have to wear when you guys moved so much, when you were young, you were living in so many different States. So it's like, who knows at the end of the day, what ties you have to any particular state. Right. And who knows at the right. end of the day, any of this information. So I do think it's a good start for you to start with your DNA and right. kind of take it from there and, right. and hiring a PI and all of that, of course, with that comes like, you know, the cost you know, there's investigative mm-hmm. costs. Um, right. And I'm a college student. Like everybody college knows college student. students are broke. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend TikTok is so is is an interesting um, platform, but it's also really powerful in oh, that yeah. sometimes people can find real answers um, on TikTok and can find a lot of support on TikTok. And I think you already have a lot of support. A lot of people that are rooting for you. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, you had a really tough upbringing and there's so many questions and so many, it's also shady that they want to see you get answers. But if any of those people want to help you get answers, that would be even better. So I would definitely say, you know, get a GoFundMe up, you know, get a GoFundMe link up, say to the people that are your supporters that are in your corner. Hey, I appreciate you guys. If you really want to see this through with me, the reality is it takes, you know, it, there are fees that have to be paid for this, you know, requesting legal documents, hiring a PI, going through that process. You know, it's, it's, you know, when you see it like on a show, on episode of like a show or a documentary, you don't know any of that stuff, what it took to kind of get the answers. And you're in the process of doing that now. Right. So I know it'll happen for you. Um, I'm invested too. You know, <laughs> for the ride. Everybody is. Yeah. And I'm glad that you took the time to share it. I think it's good that you took the time to kind of in a single, in a single space, share your story, the entirety of your story. It's hard to do that on TikTok. Like you have like a couple minutes, you give as much as you can. And then you're like, go click on this other video and I'll tell you a little bit more. And, right. Um, so you were able to kind of really share your story a little bit more cohesively so people could understand what this has been like for you and that your journey is not over. It's still going. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time out. I wish you all the best in this. I'm definitely going to be, you know, staying tuned to your updates, um, your DNA results, you know, yeah, all of that good stuff. And I, I know that you've already accomplished so much in your life. So it's only going to kind of go up from here. But I do right. think that you have the opportunity now to really use your platform to show people that 
you know, you could persevere, like even if you have this history, even if you come from a place of a lot of trauma, um, even though, you know, you were unable to grow up in a home where you felt like the people that adopted you truly should have adopted you. I think you still came out of that situation um, like really strong, you know, everything that you've done has shown that. Right. And that's just basically kind of like my point in sharing my story is not only do I want answers for myself, but like hope to encourage, you know, other people who have, you know, grew up in a home that, you know, could have been, you know, really messed up just emotionally or physically. Um, and that you can come out of the other side and know that you can be totally healthy. It'll be a journey. It'll be hard. It'll probably be the hardest thing you'll do, but there is hope. You can be a normal person. You don't have to be afraid of people. You don't have to be afraid of reaching out and you can live, you know, a so-called normal life of just knowing that, you know, you can, you can function, you can be happy, you can have a future um, because there is one, it takes work. It's not easy, but there is one. Absolutely. And if anyone who's listening wants to follow Amanda's journey to answers, she does post a lot of updates. Um, what is your TikTok handle? Uh, TikTok handle is Amanda Cornegie one. Okay. And Cornegie is K-O-R-N-E-G-H-Y. It'll be in the, the episode title, but um, in case right. anyone's wondering how to spell that. <laughs> yes. And YouTube, that's my same uh, user handle and on Instagram. Same thing. Yeah. On all the social media platforms. Well, thanks again. And right. yeah. Thank and happy so early birthday. I know. I'm so <laughs> excited. Oh my gosh. I like to say that I'm 25 every year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you are not the first one to say this. You are not the first one. I like to say that I'm forever 25. So, <laughs> so I hope you have the best 25th birthday tomorrow. Thank you so much.